once I realized that I was not getting not just the recognition in my job, but also not getting something that I was allegedly promised. That's when I started quiet quitting, as they call it now. It's like, I went to work, did my thing, didn't go beyond my, my job description and left. Welcome to the Audacious Founder Podcast. This is a podcast for entrepreneurial women. It's going to help you build confidence, obliterate mental blocks, gain knowledge, and harness the audacity to start your business, grow your business, or just start living your life with a whole lot more fucking audacity than you have been. My name's Melissa Manning. I've founded and co-founded more than 13 businesses in 10 years, and I've got more than 45,000 hours of business operating experience that I want to share with you. And I am here to A, learn more because we're never effing done, and B, get you to a new level, a new audacious level. So let's get into it. Welcome to the Audacious Founder Podcast. My name is Melissa Manning. I am your host and your audacity coach. Today, I am here with Christina Fernandez. She is a friend and the founder of, or actually the founder and lead baker of I Need More. And that is need as in K-N-E-A-D, like you're kneading the dough. And that's an adorable pun. And I appreciate that. Her business is a concept that started during the peak of the pandemic and has now grown to have a cult following in Miami. She is utilizing her experiences from the Manhattan restaurant industry to share her creations with her community. I Need More hosts an array of baked goods highlighting those experiences and her Miami Cuban roots. And as a matter of fact, we are going to have a dinner party tonight and she will be bringing one such creation. So I am already salivating. <laughs> Thank you for having me. You're so welcome. Thanks for getting on here. We've been talking about it for a while. Yes. And like, you know, we've been going back and forth about it for a minute. It's like, uh-huh. it's finally here. It's finally happening. So yep. welcome to the confines of my dining room. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I was just complimenting her on her background, by the way. Yes. Trying to go for a little like spooky vibes, oh. modern, mystical, brick kind of fever dream. Love it. I love yeah, it. just trying to put it all out there. <laughs> no, I'm into this. I've got a couple like tarot cards right next to me, a couple books on like how to be psychic. <laughs> I have a nightmare for Christmas tarot deck. <laughs> <laughs> Bring that tonight. Read yes. read my cards. Yes, I haven't dabbled in a minute, but I'll I'll give it a go for sure. I'll okay. bring the cards out. <laughs> Literally. So okay, I will say this. Whenever I read, not whenever, but like a couple of times when I've read people's cards, they have been eerily accurate. Mm-hmm. even though I am so amateur that I have to look up the card and read them the description after. But before I start, I, I meditate a little bit and I try to connect myself with my spirit guides. And then I read their cards. And there have been a couple instances where like exactly what we said or what I like exactly what we, what came up happened, manifested. Mm-hmm. It was, it was kind of crazy. Yeah. So, when, it, when it comes to tarot readings, I just try to take it with a grain of salt. Um, because the universe works in mysterious ways. I mean, I, I am a person who believes like I make my own fate. Um, but you know, it's a nice little like guide, almost it's like a suggestion, like a speed limit sign. It's a suggestion. (laughs) For me, it's almost like, it's almost like, okay, don't freak out. You know, just like 
just it's like guidance a little bit, you know, right. like don't, you know, this, okay, maybe you feel this way now, but then the card says in a month or whatever, you're going to feel better. So it's just like, you know, whether it's true or not, it just kind of gives me a bit more peace of mind in the moment, unless it says something bad. And then I'm just like, well, let me spiral a little bit more. Yeah. It's completely harmless. You know I mean? As long as like, you don't go too far with it and like it's gospel to you. That's where it's like, okay, you're kind of disconnecting from reality a little bit. Like, let's, let's dial it back. Yeah. Um, like I lead my life according to like the evil eye. It's something, it's a common belief in the Latino culture. It's mm. like mal de ojo. Mal de ojo is always watching. So, mm. you know, don't be stupid, act right. And mal de ojo will not be looking at you. So I just lead my life by that. So, okay. so far, she's been good to me. Nothing's happened. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's kind of like how I, I kind of reflect on those kind of things. It's like, I just take it day by day and I just stay true to my values. And as long as I keep doing that so far, it's been good. Yeah. So no complaint. Yeah. I guess that's a good way to live. When you first said that, I was like, no, but like, I don't want to live that like something bad is, you know, kind of like coming after me all the time or like watching me all the time. Cause that reminded me of, um, you know, sometimes on Instagram, for example, I'll see a lot of memes where it says like, don't tell people your ideas cause they're sending you bad energy. Right. And that's, that's sort of part of the mal, what do you, how do you say mal de ojo? Mal de ojo. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I, I don't really, I don't really like that per se, but what I do like is what you're saying. It's just like a reminder to live your life with integrity and to live it by what's important and all of those things. So cool. Um, so the reason I brought you on today, and as I was just explaining to you before we started recording was that, um, this podcast is really just to inspire women who are already entrepreneurs to just like keep going, keep hustling, keep pushing. And also those who might not have really jumped into the entrepreneurial pool yet, but who have that desire to really inspire them to really get going. So um, I want to hear more about your business. I want to hear, well, first I have written down, did you always want to be an entrepreneur or was this something that like just kind of came out of nowhere? Where do I begin? Uh, <laughs> so, um, to rewind a bit before moving to New York and enrolling into culinary school, I was actually in law school. Um, Whoa. so back, yeah, I didn't um, know this guys This is news to me. <laughs> what kind of law or um, I guess law school is general, right? Right. But in my mind, I wanted to pursue either, um, trademark or international law because back in college, oh. I was really inspired by this pre-law course I took about the Nuremberg trials. So I dedicated an entire semester uh, because my, my university, uh, my undergrad had, for some reason, their archives, like transcripts from the Nuremberg trials after World War II. And so I dove deep into these documents, like understanding like what Hitler's entourage did and understanding like their roles in the Third Reich. And it got to the point where I had to like defend a Nazi in my class. Not really. It, it was part of the assignment. Um, and my- You had to defend a Nazi. Whoa. not proud of that at all like basically had to like speak his case were you able and to do it it took a lot of strength yeah. um but thankfully my the one of hitler's headmen that i had to defend he wasn't really part of it if um i did uh rudolf hess so rudolf hess what he did was basically steal a plane from germany fly over into england to um chamberlain the the prime minister at the time before churchill and try to like make a deal with them but he was just kidnapped and taken for prisoner throughout the entire war so there were atrocities I had to defend, defend thankfully. Yeah. Um, but my professor at the time was really 
taken away by my dedication, like how I was presenting everything that she actually took me around because um, I went to undergrad in Boca. She took me around uh, different communities in Boca and I actually spoke with Holocaust survivors and they said, what you're doing is so great. Like you're passing on the message and like really diving deep about like how intertwined and how um, bureaucratic this whole experience was. Um, yeah, I was like, I was really taken back in that moment. I was really touched about um, sharing my knowledge, especially from someone who like does not have a connection or any family members who perished in the Holocaust. Um, just kind of like speaking out and saying, hey, I have no idea what you endured, but like, I want to be supportive and I want to understand as much as I can because yeah, history can repeat itself. Mm -hmm. um, so, she, so my professor, uh, Dr. Kirker, she pulled me aside. She goes, are you sure you don't want to try law school? And I was like, I don't know. That's really part of me because I was studying graphic design and advertising, like nothing to do with law. Yeah. Um, but she said, give it a go. Like, I'll write a recommendation letter. I'll, you know, tell you, you know, what think, what school thing will suit you. I'll help you with the LSAT. I was like, wait, so what right. was the class? What was that teacher teaching you that you had to do all that? And then she was like, wait, law school maybe? Yeah. So it was, um, like a pre-law course covering oh. the Nuremberg trials. Okay. Um, so I was really inspired by that. And she, so Dr. Kirker, she pushed me to, I was like, all right, let's just see what happens. So I took the LSAT. I did the whole thing. Uh, I went to St. Thomas in Miami gardens for a semester and I did enjoy it. Most of the part, um, properties was actually my strongest class. I was like the people, the one people went to for properties, but you know, going through all of that and trying to get the gist of it I did enjoy law school but I don't think anything in the long run it suited my creative needs because I was always very creative growing up mm -hmm. um I would like to be very tangible and just trying to put things together with my hands mm -hmm. um like when I was a kid I would sew clothes for my Barbie dolls my mom swore I was gonna be a fashion designer um but I also would go into the kitchen and like play around uh -huh. so it, it kind of shows like how food and fashion like really encompass uh -huh. Uh -huh. <laughs> I am. Um, but then I thought, you know, I was going back and forth thinking, okay, like maybe I can utilize something with fashion and try to do like trademark law within fashion, like in the case mm -hmm. between um, Yves Saint Laurent and Christian Louboutin over the red soles. Okay. I was like, okay, give it a go. Why not? Um, but I had like a come to Jesus moment. I was like, you know what? I'd be honest with myself. Like I can defend as much as I want. I'm not really feeling it. So I said, see ya. I'm out. Um, and I went to a career counselor and, you know, I guess, and guess what career showed up for me? Stylist, chef. I was like, why? Uh -huh. why? <laughs> so I went up to New York. I visited uh, my culinary school, the International Culinary Center, formerly known as the French Culinary Institute in Soho. And I visited the campus and I was like really inspired by it um, because I've always had a knack for cooking as well. Like in high school, I would go to this restaurant um, in my neighborhood on weekends to kind of like kind of learn how they work just for fun. And so I did it. This was April, 2015. I moved to New York, May, 2015. And like, that was it. Okay. That was it. And so I moved to the Lower East Side, new city, new career, didn't know anybody, no connections. I was like, what could possibly go wrong? <laughs> and so where, where were you working? Um, so my pastry program was six months long. And within the final half of my program, I started externship at Bouchon Bakery in Rockefeller Center. Oh. So I came out swinging. <laughs> oh, wow. How was that? Um, very interesting, especially since I haven't had proper experience in the field. I was just yeah. using my common sense and my drive and just doing what I could. 
And, and so that was a connection between the program you were in and Bouchon. Like that's why you were. Yeah, there was a career fair and I just dropped off my resume. I was like, Hey, this is who I am. Like, I want, I like to stage with you one day. Um, stage for those who don't know, it's kind of like tryouts. So when you do a stage at a restaurant, they make you come in for a shift and they get a feel about how you work. We also get a feel about how they work. Yeah. So you're there for a shift, get a feel for it. And then like most of the time they'll tell you on the spot, like whether or not you qualify for the position. Um, so yeah, that's what I did. I went to Bouchon. I did a stage. Uh, they really liked how I worked with the team. They said, okay, we want you to join us. I was like, that, that, that's it. <laughs> okay. That was so easy, right? I was like, okay. I mean, I was just, I was just doing what I could. Right. And uh, so, yeah. So after my externship, after my program ended with ICC, I uh, ended up with a full-time position and I ended up being there for three years. So wow. yeah, I, I thank Bouchon for um, the fundamentals of my business and my concept and also my approach to different recipes and techniques, because I, in my, my philosophy, when it comes to my baking and my concept is less is more mm-hmm. um, because it's very easy to fall into the trap of like, you know, these beautiful desserts are like works of art and they look like sculptures, like something you would see in like a, a fashion magazine. And aesthetically, yeah, it's great for the gram. It's fantastic. But when you taste it, you're just like, what is this? Yeah. That's actually happened to me recently. Like I've gotten a couple, I don't remember where they were from or what they even looked like, but I just remember recently there's been a couple times where I, I get these desserts and they look so beautiful. Actually, no, there's, so I live in Doral and there's a place over here that has like these really cute, um, I don't know if you call it gourmet, but it's like these really cute gourmet desserts. <laughs> I, what do you call it? Like, I don't know. I don't even know like what they're made of to like explain it better, yeah. but they're just, they're the ones that are like fancy. They're the small one, you know, the entremets are like very like shiny and glazy. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And to be honest, normal. every time I try those, they always suck. <laughs> no matter where I try those, but they look so beautiful all the time. Yeah. But they're just like, it's like pure sugar and it's gross. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's something I experienced in New York and Miami, like, you know, super well-known chefs and not to, you know, stand on their not talent, anybody. like not to knock on their talent. Like they deserve their perspective titles. They deserve their success X, Y, and Z. But when you see some of these chefs that started out versus how they've grown over time, it's kind of like they, the, the quality kind of started losing its shine over time. Yeah. And so they focus more on production. Right. So they They're like really, developing bad habits too. Right. It's like, and that's something I, I've seen happen a few times in New York as well, where somebody started off as like a simple shop in the middle of the city. And then they just started blowing up overnight and the quality just went down. And yes, you're making more money because you're pushing out more product. But at the same time, it's like, where is the dignity behind it? And that's something I've always told myself is, you know, if I ever get to that position, it's like, I have to stay true to my values as my, as I am as a person, but also to my business. Like I need more is known for quality and I will stick to that. I don't care if I make less money. I don't care if I'm not a multimillionaire. I'd rather stick to my guns. But I also think that is the way to get there. Right. I think I, and I don't want to use the word sellout because it, maybe it's not really that, but, but really like, again, it, like when we think about marketing, we think about niching down as much as possible because that that's the advice, because then you are really honing what makes your brand unique and different. And you're really resonating with the people who, who like that. 
right? As opposed to trying to please everybody and trying to, you know, change over time to this thing that isn't even what you wanted it to be in the first place. You don't really resonate with anybody at that point. And so people think that they think that the bigger they get and the more people they uh, appeal to that the better business they'll be doing. And that's not really the case. I mean, even it's reminding me, I went out last night to dinner and it was um, like their whatever, whatever anniversary. And, and um, so one of the general manager gave a speech and she was like, well, we started out as the small bakery that was like focusing on or, or a cafe. I don't remember if it was a bakery or a cafe, but they were focusing on pastries and cakes and Oprah went to it and Oprah ate one of their cakes. And then she, Oprah like touted the cake as one of the best cheesecakes in the world or, or in the U S or something like that. And so they blew up and now they have restaurants, like full restaurants. The food wasn't good. The food was not good. And so like, they literally had this event so that they could promote the fact that they have this whole big menu, but speaking to what you're talking about, if they had just Maybe, sure, maybe they got so much business from Oprah that they could have expanded, but why did they have to expand what the original vision was? Why not keep it as a cafe with amazing cakes? Right, right? yeah, like there's a fine line between accessibility, like yes, you want everyone to experience what you provide, but at the same time, at what cost is it gonna be? Mm -hmm. Like, are you gonna really compromise the, the fundamentals of your concept and the foundation of your business yeah. just to get extra money in or just cut corners no yeah but like uh for me one of the best models that i've observed when i was living in new york um is bread's bakery i don't know if you're familiar with them bread's, bread's bakery, bread's bakery? Okay. yeah so so bread's bakery has been around for over a decade but they stayed very true to their roots their original flagship is in union square and they only expanded to like three other spots they have a mm. shop by lincoln center they have a kiosk at Bryant Park, and I believe they still have their outpost in Dumbo. That's it. But that keeps it exclusive too, right? Exactly. Like yeah. people are going to travel for it because right. Bread's Bakery is very well known for their babkas and their quality breads, but their quality has not changed. In the five years I lived in the city, Bread's has always been consistent, and that's the model I want to follow. And that's hard too, though, you know, like that is really hard to stay consistent because every time you bring in a new employee, every time you bring in a new chef, right? There is, you have to, that is hard. That is like a full-time focus to make sure that things are not changing or, you know, at least they're not going backwards. Right. 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 No, absolutely. And of course, like given the day and age that we are now, like, yes, ingredients are getting way more expensive and it's, it's another challenge on top of the myriad of things that we have to do to keep the business going. Yeah. Um, but if it gets to the point where it's like, if you have to do less production, but keep the quality going, so be it. Right. You know, it's just, it's a game of numbers. You have to do like, what's going to benefit more in the long run. It's like, either you scale back on the menu, which a lot of places are doing now to cut back on costs, especially labor costs, which is getting very, very high. Um, God, yeah. and it's like, I'd rather have a smaller menu and keep the staff that I have now, instead of like just pushing out something that it's going to change your reputation, leave a bad taste in people's mouths. And people, like once they have a bad experience, most people will not go back. Yep. It's just, it's just the reality of it. Um, so that's always been like my focus with my business from the beginning. It's like, you know, don't be over ambitious when it comes to products. Just be straightforward to the point. Um, you know, that's the Bouchon way. It's simple, but elegant. You know, don't try to do anything too crazy. So for example, um, like my, I just uh, launched my fall menu 
And my cookie for the fall menu is Mexican hot chocolate cookies. So how do I approach this? You know, combining these flavors of Mexican hot chocolate concentrated into a cookie. Yeah. Are you bringing those tonight? (laughs) Uh, maybe. Can you bring me one? (laughs) Maybe. Don't tell anybody. (laughs) I'll go with you all for sure. Okay. Uh, Yeah. Um, where was I going with this? But yeah, with the Mexican chocolate cookie, I keep it very straightforward. Mm -hmm. I infuse the sugar with the chili, with the arco chiles. So that way it's evenly distributed in the cookie. And then I put cinnamon and vanilla. Mm. That's it. And that's it. Like the flavors explain for themselves. Cause that's my focus. Like I want it to be authentic. I want the flavors to present themselves and keep it consistent. But again, it's a very simple approach Yeah. because <laughs> another th- trend that I really don't get, but you know, everybody has their taste is like when I see like cookies or cupcakes, I have basically the entire snack aisle on top. I, I don't get it, but yeah. if it works, it works. People like that. And that's totally fine. There's nothing wrong with it. It's not my thing per se, but if they like it and that makes you happy. Yeah. But I think that's, that is appealing to a different market, right? Like in that case, you're not appealing to like really great quality baked goods. You are appealing to just some kind of like a fun experience once in a while. Right. And that's not something you're not going to go to that coffee shop every day to get that amazing croissant right? You're just going to go there once in a while. Like there, that reminds me of, um, there's a milkshake place in, was it Coral Gables where they do that? Like they put like all this stuff on there, like donut. and Yeah. Yeah. And, and I took my daughter there one time. She didn't even like it, but like, I took her there for the experience of having this like crazy thing, you know? Um, yeah, she didn't even like it. She didn't even drink it. So guess who drank it? And it was, (laughs) all sugar and it was gross, but I still drank it. Um, yeah, but I agree. And like that, that's making me think too, that I'm somebody who consistently has been guilty of overcomplicating things. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's a great reminder for people is like, cause I think there's a lot of people out there like me too. A lot of the clients that I'm coaching, they're always trying to complicate things. They're always, and it's so easy for me to identify in somebody else. But when it comes to me, it's like, no, 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 this, this makes logical sense. Like, why wouldn't, no, take it back, like relax, step back, just focus on this thing and perfect that and then move on to the next thing, right? You don't have to be doing everything at one time. Um, So that's kind of a tangent, but yeah, I mean, I agree with you. And I think ultimately like that is really a different market, right? Somebody like, and don't get me wrong. Like I will love a cupcake that's like covered in glitter and like, you know, some kind of cute stuff going on up top. I watch those memes on Instagram where they're like designing all these like Halloween cupcakes with all these characters on top and it's so cute and I love it but yeah I mean when you eat that you're just like it's all sugar um but it's just it's a different it's a different uh like plan right like the the goal is different there right um to add like to my experiences um so after working for a while in the industry I was trying to figure out like what medium of pastry worked with me I tried cakes and I was like no I tried chocolate no so why why no um for cakes you have to be an architect uh <laughs> it's just cakes require like I'm, th- I'm talking regards to, like cake decorating like, like sculpture cake. yeah and it's just um and it's also like a very competitive field um but also I didn't like really connect with it compared like I did with bread like with bread it's like the whole experience of 
bringing the dough together, shaping it, seeing it come to life in the oven. Um, like that for me, I just connected a little bit better with, like, I love like the smell of the fermentation and just like getting all messy with the flour. I love it. Um, but yeah. So when I realized that bread was like my shtick, I actually went back to culinary school. Um, Mm -hmm. I did uh, a bread course and a culinary entrepreneurship course and which really like opened my eyes to like how to market a a culinary business because you mentioned something very important a lot of people focus more on the experience than the food the experience makes more of a bigger impact like the regards of service Mm -hmm. and entire environment than the actual food itself right right The, the experience is like the hook right that's the thing that pulls people in because that's what you see on instagram but then the quality of the product is the thing that keeps the the customer keeps them loyal to your brand right like the whole concept of like clubsterons clubsterons i had a clubsterant oh yeah yeah that's what my i never called it that but that's what i had i had i had a bar restaurant and then at a certain time like 11 p.m. or something we would basically become a club that's awesome yeah yeah, but, I mean, but you're talking the, about the quality of the food probably wasn't the best, right? Is that what you're going right. to say? Like, like t- I'm talking about like high end places that come off as like fine dining, but really uh-huh. it's like a restaurant. Like, um, um, what's that place that just opened? Sexy Fish. Yeah, <laughs> I haven't been there. I haven't been there, so I can't. I mean, that. I will go for a drink because, yeah, it's about the experience. Like seeing like this super gaudy, over the top restaurant, something like you know that would make Vegas shiver. Um, <laughs> It would make Vegas blush, essentially. Like, yeah, I definitely want to go check it out. But like, would you expect me to drop like $200 for food that I'm just like so-so about? And that's that's kind of what I heard, but haven't been Yeah, there. I mean, congrats to them on their success. I mean, I hope they do great. Um, but They've got to charge like 60 bucks for a plate to pay for all of that. Like, yeah. I don't know how much it costs to make that place, but- I think apparently it was like $20 million, like the whole project. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's like, you know, but people remember the experience. It's like, you know, the whole showmanship of it all. Right. So, I mean, and that's another thing that I have to consider when producing my products or developing something in the menu, because yes, I simply like less is more, but at the same time, it's like, I, it has to be captivating too. So that was a major challenge when I started, I need more. It was just, um, like basically playing diff- 10 different roles at once. So like everything I studied, everything that I, uh, learned over time, just observation in the classroom, I had to encompass all of that to bring, I need more to life. So I had to be the photographer. I'd be the graphic designer, marketer, uh, accountant, lawyer, uh, uh, executive chef, line cook, porter. It's like everything that I've known all this time, like finally coming together. And the fact that I pulled it off, <laughs> right. It's a feat. It's, it's a feat because yeah, I mean, starting this completely on my own, like people are surprised. Um, for example, whenever I would join a South Beach Wine Food Festival for their market on Lincoln Road, yeah. um, people ask me like, oh, like, do you have like a staff? I was like, no, it's just me. And they go, you made all of these products by yourself. I go, from someone who used to make 500 croissants a day, that's me. <laughs> Um, like I've told I, myself, if I can survive working Christmas in a bakery in Rockefeller Center, oh my god, I can survive anything. anything. I've done that four times. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Like, so it's just like the demand for everything skyrocketed overnight because Bouchon was like, 
in direct proximity to the, the tree at Rockefeller. Uh-huh. So our produ- so once that tree lit up, our production our production quadrupled overnight. Whoa. Especially because the biggest sellers in Bouchon, aside from like croissants, was cookies. Like they sold yeah. a lot. And that's something I've noticed as well. Like a lot of people, I guess it's like an American thing, is just they like handheld. So something portable, easy to grab, and just like go out on the street and eat it. Yeah. Um, but to give you an idea, when I was part of like the, so the way that Bouchon was split up um, in your position was based on stations dedicated to certain menu items. So yeah. there was a team that dedicated to all the cookie products another team for all the viennoiserie, like croissants and brioche, another team for tarts, another team for cakes. So one time I was part of the cookie station. I was the one person on the cookie station. So when Christmas came along, I used to do, I used to mix and, and scoop and prepare um, like 600 cookies a day, which is kind of average. Once that tree lit up, it went to 1200. Holy cow. And I did all that by myself. I had to like do all the production by myself. I had to do all the forecasting for how much I had to produce that week by myself. Right. It was a true test to like how much I can handle. I think I had like two mental breakdowns the entire time, uh, <laughs> which I think is a success. Okay. Um, but it really tested me and tested my limits because I've only at that time, I was only working in the industry like one year. Yeah. So, you know, here I was like a baby in the industry and like, they just kind of threw this at me like, okay, like this is all you now, like you're on this. I'm like, what <laughs> wow okay this is fine <laughs> so yeah no, that's that is so good right you got thrown into the deep end and that's how you learn to swim and yeah. so now you know you've got your own business because of it yeah it definitely whipped me into shape for sure it definitely um showed discipline mm-hmm. um that's one of the major things i can say when it comes to like running your own business is discipline like yes like ideally i don't want to wake up at five in the morning to bake a ton of bread that's but at the end, the end of the day, to be in this business, you have to love it. Like, even though I hated waking up early, the fact that I can wake up to the smell of freshly baked bread every morning, yeah. that's what keeps me going. It's like, it's such a little luxury to me. And there's extras I have like one for myself. <laughs> um, but yeah, like that's one thing I always tell people when they ask me, oh, if you're trying to pursue this industry, what's the first thing you say? I think you have to love it. You mm-hmm. have to love it. Like, that's something I've heard from like all the top chefs I worked in New York um, and my instructors, you have to love it because this career requires a lot of sacrifice, yeah. a lot of um, self-determination, a lot of independence. Um, so that's even if you're not working for yourself, right? You're saying like as any kind of a chef. In general, in general, yeah. even if you're a line cook or um, a general manager in the restaurant industry, you have to yeah. love it. You have to love it. Um, despite the challenges and like, you know, it can take a lot on you. Mm-hmm. You have to love it. You have to be like, you know what? It was a lot. It's stressful, but at the end of the day, it was worth it. And mm-hmm. that's exactly, you know, I'm still doing this seven years later because clearly I love what I do. I'm really grateful that I was able to start off in the most competitive city um, and working with like the head honchos and like getting that foundation going for me because it definitely like, it, it really tested me because there were moments at the beginning where I was just like, am I really cut out for this? Like, am I really going to make it through this? And I did, I did it. Like I did what I could. Um, and I'm, I'm forever grateful for those who I've worked with my colleagues, um, who I'm still in touch with today. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's a lot of sacrifice a lot. And I mean, in most part, I'm really grateful to my family because there are some times where I couldn't come back to Miami for Christmas and they would come and stay with me. Oh, I was very, very lucky. Very yeah. like 
I don't know what I would have done because you know in the Latino culture Noche Buena is very like sacred to us and the mm -hmm. fact that they came from Noche Buena I'm like that really helped me through it really did yeah that's amazing <laughs> this started in the pandemic so what's the timeline so you were in New York were you in New York for three years or for longer five years five years and then what brought you back to Miami so um when the news started spreading around about all this little thing called coronavirus um, oh okay so it was just it was recent that you came back here yeah two years ago okay um so when the news started spreading around new york about covid um at the time i was working at le jardinier um the same one as the one here in miami um the new york one was the first one i was part of the opening team i helped train the staff for the miami location we got our first Michelin star in three months of um, only female bread baker. It was like me and my, my, my executive chef and my sous chef. And, um, yeah, so I was just like working in Le Jardinier, doing my thing, making bread. And, <laughs> um, all of a sudden when the news of COVID started spreading even more rapidly at the time, um, mayor de Blasio said, oh, we're going to re reduce restaurant capacity at 25%. So like, yeah, weird. And then like within a, I think it was like a, not even a week later, he goes, scrap it, just close restaurants. Um, so yeah, so that's what happened. Like re all, all restaurants closed basically overnight. Um, at the time I was living in Midtown on 58th and 6th, um, like right near Columbus circle. Okay. So it's a very busy area. And yeah. the fact that literally overnight it went from normal Manhattan chaos to just a ghost town overnight. And, you know, we all thought two weeks, two weeks, um, obviously not the case. So I waited as long as I could. Um, when they started announcing reopening plans, there are a lot of setbacks for restaurant workers. And after three months, I was like, I, you know, I'm unemployed. I, you know, I can't just wait for a miracle to happen. So I was like, I got to go make moves. So, so I had to make the really tough decision to give up a life that I treasured so much, my career that I treasured so much, like, you know what? I have to do what's best for me. At the end of the day, that's all I have. So yeah. I go back to Miami, I'm back home. And uh, of course, nothing really, there's like no lockdown in Miami per se, according to my knowledge. And so at the time I was living with my parents and I didn't feel safe going back to restaurants full time yet because yeah. I don't, you know, compromise and I don't want to bring that home. Right. So I thought, okay, let's just try something here. See what I can do build something, come up with recipes and ideas and just see where it goes from there. And so September of 2020, um, that's where I launched. I need more. Um, it was mostly known amongst like friends and family first. And then over time, um, it started by word of mouth started getting more popular. People started getting more familiar with it. And, um, after a few months, I thought, okay, I guess I'm going to be in this for a little bit longer. So I just reached out to a bunch of food bloggers that I follow here in Miami. And as like a complete stranger, I just sent them DMs saying, hey, you have no idea who I am, but I bake things. Do you want to check them out? And so I would send them the website, all of that, be like, just give them all the information up front. Mm -hmm. And thankfully, they were all very enthusiastic, very excited. I said, yeah, like, I want to check this out. This is so different. So um, yeah, so my menu at the time were um, my infamous guava cream cheese babka. That is my baby. That is my shining star. I love her so much. Um, she's my most successful recipe. So my guava cream cheese babka, tarta de Santiago, which is a Spanish almond flour cake made with lemon zest, cinnamon, and sherry. 
that's so good. That's what you're bringing tonight, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Tarte Santiago, um, my key lime yuzu tart. What else did I bring? Coconut cherry buns, just like everything I could. I was like, I'm just giving you that all these good. things. Coconut cherry buns. But so did you, how did, how did you meet with those influencers to get them to try Like, did you just mail them your stuff or did you I would show up at their house and be like, there you go. Okay. I would just show up at their house like, Hey, here you go. Like, let me know what you think. And thankfully they've all been like really, really well received. Um, actually because of some of the influencers, I was able to gain more working opportunities. Um, like through one, uh, Alex, um, her, her handle is caviar chronicles. She actually hooked me up with Nicole, the owner of Jeepney who uh, was in New York, but now she opened in Miami at 1-800-LUCKY. And because of Alex, oh. I was able her to produce bread for Jeepney. And it was kind of cool, like having like working with a New Yorker again. It's like, hey, it's like things haven't changed. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so who are your bigger customers? Like, is it may are you mainly distributing to other businesses, or are you selling directly to consumers? At the moment, it's both. Um, but right now, I'm actually in the process of moving my business from my home to a ghost kitchen out of Doral. So. Yes. Oh, you're gonna be my neighbor. Good. Yes. We can have lunch some days. Oh, absolutely. Or happy hour. Don't tempt me with a good time. Um, <laughs> so I'm actually moving to a ghost kitchen in Doral. Um, hopefully next week, I'm just like working out some kinks. Mm-hmm. And my focus, primarily, I want to do wholesale because um, given my experiences working in wholesale back in New York, that's definitely the smartest business move because it's consistent in regards yeah. to revenue, cost, distribution. It's always consistent because with clientele, it's very sporadic. Right. So like, and I feel like you have to pay more for advertising and marketing if you are trying to reach the just individual consumer versus right. corporation. But also like each individual consumer is an opportunity to something bigger. That's true too. Yeah. Cause like, you know, Miami, it's, it's a small town, like yeah. somebody knows somebody. And so, yeah, like because of the influencers, I got to work with 100 Lucky. Um, I actually got to work recently with um, Vanessa Garcia. Um, she just launched her first children's book. And I was actually on her podcast, Never the Empty Nest. Cool. And um, because of that experience with Vanessa, I actually sat at a panel with her at Books and Books this past Sunday. And because of her, I got to meet like new clientele and people were like, Hey, like I have this meeting coming up or, Hey, I'm a teacher. I want to like reach out to kids more. Like, can you come in and help them with bread? So it's like doing more in-person experiences um, has definitely helped my business grow more because before like the first year it was all virtual. Right. And then like, I I was slowly breaking out into doing like farmer's markets, things like that. And then that was another test of doing this business. Like, okay, I've been doing all this marketing online. Now I have to present this in person and be like, this is my face. This is what I do. Yeah. And um, it's just another learning experience on the field. Uh, but that's uh, that's an interesting point, right? Because like we might have forgotten now that so many people have kind of switched over to working from home or new careers or new businesses or whatever. We might have just forgotten how important that in-person um, exposure, I guess, is, right? And networking. Yeah. So that's yeah. a great point. Yeah. I mean, that's also what I've been doing as well is networking. So what I do when I go to networking events, I actually went to one last night um, for women entrepreneurs. I okay, well, why are you not inviting me? I'm sorry. Oh, I'm offended by this. I'm offended. I'm offended. Uh, announce it in the chat. I request. Announce yes. it in the chat, please. I will. Thank um, you. but what I've been doing now, you know, again, testing a new way to market 
I would bake cookies, individually wrap them and stick my business info on it. Yeah. Because yeah. That's so that's like card. your business card. Yeah. Because, you know, anyone from the street would be like, Hey, here's my card. I make food. It's like, okay. <laughs> Once like they have the physical product in their hand, they're like, Oh, I just get to try it on the spot. Yeah. And everybody loves something for free. So. Like, oh yeah. People have been kind of like scared. They, they go, are you charging for this? I'm like, no, I'm just promoting myself. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's if it's so- at a networking event. Maybe that's less weird, but if it's just like on the sidewalk, you know? Oh yeah. No, that's so yeah. funny. I remember in New York when I was from, when I had just opened my bar or I don't even know if it was when I just opened, but, um, when we would have DJs there sometimes, and like, we didn't have a lot of people inside the bar yet. I would, we would print out cards or we would print out just like little coupons, basically. That was like free drink or buy one, get one free or something. And then we would go outside onto the sidewalk and just like give it to people who are walking around or going to other places. And I just remember I'm literally standing here giving them a free drink and they were so scared. (laughs) Like they would look at me like I was holding a knife or something. And I'm like, it's a little piece of paper and it's a, it's a free drink. What are you doing here? Just take it. Like, I mean, not for nothing. We were always taught like, Hey, don't take candy from strangers. Valid, valid. Stranger danger. Yeah. Uh, but I feel like alcohol is a different situation. You oh, yeah. no, 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 no. no you can't take it, but I'm not giving them the drink. I'm giving them a coupon. Right. Yeah. Come I mean, on. people are just kind of like throwing out. There's like, you're giving out cookies. Why is like, like, Mostly they're very excited, but there's always like that one person who's very skeptical. It's like, yeah, what's in this cookie? Like, I oh, I've gotten that question many times. I'm like, it's not what you think it is. It's just, am I going to pass out and then you're going to kidnap me? Is that what's going to happen here? It's just a nice wholesome cookie with chocolate chips and chocolate chunks. It's like made with love and perfection. Like, (laughs) Um, But thankfully that's also been really well received. Like, you know, people like, oh my God, I love it. And like, just try it on the spot. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. I mean, it's, that's all it's. Also, because sometimes, um, even though, how do I explain this? When it comes to like those type of interactions, I tend to be a little timid. <laughs> so, um, thankfully, like I can't, one of my- I can't believe that. <laughs> um, I call myself an introvert with social skills. <laughs> okay. Because yeah, I have like you know a big personality, and I'm I just very animated, all of that. But I get very drained after all of that. Mm. Uh, that was actually, I went to a wedding last month and my social battery was just like depleted. Um, but yeah. Wait, wait, how long did it take you to recover from the wedding? Like a week and a half. Yeah. I was like, nobody talked to me. Like, I'm just going to watch Netflix. Like, don't, I can't be bothered. That's Um, how, that's how I am too. They're trying to focus on so many different components at once. Like trying to captivate the audience, trying to give them the right information, trying to answer the questions accurately. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, it's like, you're, you're putting yourself in the spotlight and you're just like, uh, okay, let's see what's going on here on this day. Um, but yeah, that's, that was also like a test of like my social skills as well, because it's like, okay, like I'm promoting my business. Okay. I'm going to like approach these strangers and say, this is what I do. Hope you're interested. So you're literally you're pushing your comfort zone, which is an amazing thing to do. Right. And so just even having that awareness that like, okay, this is really uncomfortable, but this is going to benefit me and my business in the long run. So I'm going to make myself do it. That's amazing because a lot of people don't do that. Mm-hmm. Right. Like that's what I should be doing with the events. Right. I don't have the energy to do another event, but like I need to be doing it. Right. It's all about leap right? of faith. I mean, as you can tell, like by my entire 
journey getting to where I am now, it was all about taking leaps of faith. Mm-hmm. Yes. It was uncomfortable. It was a little scary. Um, but I had faith as like, you know, it doesn't work out. I'll figure it out. I'll find a solution. Um, same thing, like putting myself out there with my business. It's just like going out on stage in front of, you know, if I was in Carnegie hall about to perform in front of an audience, like, okay, here I am. Either it's going to go really well or it's going to go terribly. And yeah, I just, I put myself out there taking a risk with my concept. I did not know at the time, especially when the influencers started posting about my products, how it's going to be received. And because of my, of the influence, the, I'm sorry, because of the influencers here in Miami, my following quadrupled overnight, like orders were flying in, flying. It got to a point where I had to shut down my website. I was like, okay, I appreciate the enthusiasm, but like, I'm only one person. Oh my God. So did you ever hire somebody? No. <laughs> no. So it's still just you? It's just me. I mean, hopefully um, once I start moving to the ghost kitchen and yeah. the production is in demand enough or I need another person, then yes, I'll hire another person. But right now I, I think I got the ropes here pretty well. Um, because like I mentioned, like working in this industry, you have to be very independent and very self-sufficient. And especially because as I'm starting out so small, you know, my budget can only allocate so much. So, you know, depending, hopefully if the revenue is right, then, you know, maybe down the line, I'll, I'll hire someone to help me out, you know, maybe starting part-time. Hey guys, just a quick break to remind you about Audacious Founder Coaching. Whether it is your life, your business, your career, or your finances, Audacious Founder Coaching can help you get on the right track. We have to remind ourselves that oftentimes we do not know what we don't know. We can't see where we are holding ourselves back or telling ourselves these subconscious stories that really aren't true. They are just basically putting these invisible boundaries on us that prevent us from reaching our potential. So if you are getting frustrated or you are feeling stuck, if you feel like you or your business is not making as much money as you think it should be, now is the time to take that first step. So that first step is going to my website, audaciousfounder.com, filling out the form on my contact page, telling me a little bit about the situation that you've got going on and submitting that so that I can get back to you and we can schedule a time to meet and we can get you moving towards your potential. Honestly, just towards a more fulfilling life all the way around. I hope you're enjoying the show. Let's get right back to it. I did the ghost kitchen route because with, you know, first of all, I'm not in demand enough or known enough to do a full brick and mortar. That, no, it's way too costly right now. The rent in Miami is still very absurd. I love that you have the awareness to not do that because I know for me, like that would be something that I'd be really excited about. And I might let that emotion push me towards just, you know, even though logically that might not be the best, best move. I might just, you know what, Let it's going to work out. Let's do it. I'll find the money. <laughs> yeah. It was just, I really thought about it and it's just, right now is just way too risky um so with the ghost kitchen it's like I can still produce more and still focus on a delivery only concept and still Mm -hmm. provide and still provide more Mm -hmm. um especially with if I want to do more wholesale Mm -hmm. but you know I did the numbers and it's like at this moment you know eventually yes I would love a brick and mortar but that is something not just very expensive it takes a lot of time 
Um, actually, um, a friend of mine who I worked with at Lincoln Road, uh, Chef Max Santiago, um, his donut shop was supposed to open in February. It still hasn't opened yet because of setbacks. Whoa. Yeah, either with construction permits, city oh. permits. And I feel so bad for him because that I'm sure that's just every single month he's just wasting money on something. Right. And it's just like, I'd rather just wait it out. You know, everything happens for a reason. Eventually the cards will line up in my favor. But right now it's just not ideal to take that. Like there are leaps of faith and there are leaps of yikes. (laughs) And then also like, depending on what your model is and depending on how your business and you evolve, like just because brick and mortar is something that some people do doesn't mean that it you know, is the end all be all right. Like it doesn't mean maybe your model of selling to or distributing to other businesses, B2B primarily. And then also you can, you know, uh, sell to your consumers individually, but like maybe that model is the best because maybe then you can reduce the amount of employees you have, you reduce your overhead, you reduce all the moving pieces and it just allows you to live a, a simpler, more comfortable life and run your business in that way too. So, I mean, just because I feel like the brick and mortar thing is it's like a shiny object. You know, Mm -hmm. I feel like it's something that you, you can walk by and you can show people that I have this thing and and people come in and they're like, Oh, this is amazing. Who owns this? Right. And Mm -hmm. I feel like it's more of, of that, like a shiny object that you can be like, I have this, you know? Um, and you can, it's something to be proud of, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be super successful. Um, because ultimately that is 100% dependent on, well, not 100%, but like it is super dependent on foot traffic and it's really vulnerable to economic things that might mess with the foot traffic. Right. And so for me, when COVID hit, I had all businesses, except for my business coaching, all of my other businesses were dependent on foot traffic. I was fucked. Like I was completely fucked. Uh, and so not to say that you can't make money in brick and mortar and, and having a retail space, like absolutely you can, and absolutely maybe it's worth it, but also there could be other ways that might make more sense based on, I think just what your ultimate goals are, you know? No, absolutely. Um, it was just like, it's a nice middle ground before I take the jump of going to brick and mortar. Um, I know there have been, pandemic business success stories that started from their homes into a brick and mortar. And I commend them. That is fantastic. Um, and I'm glad they're doing really well. Um, but it's just for me, I think also because those people had like partners working with them, they were able to expand faster because I'm doing this on my own. It's a little more challenging. Um, because I came here, you know, I came back to Miami, just like when I moved to New York seven years ago, not really knowing anyone in the industry, like not really having connections. And so I had to build my own connections. And thankfully, like, I've been meeting more people in the industry, going to networking events. Um, and hopefully, you know, I would like to have a business partner because I am only one person. Um, you know, that's something that'll hopefully happen down the line, but right now, because I'm a one woman show, it's like, I'd rather, you know, be able to control what I can now, especially with this ghost kitchen. So that way, you know, I can control the production, the finances, and just be very, and tread lightly. Yeah. And, and hopefully over time, if when the opportunity comes, I will take that leap and go into a brick and mortar. Um, but yeah, like you said, it really depends on foot traffic. Sorry. It really depends on foot traffic. Um, and it's kind of 
risky right now because yeah, people are, are spending less money. They're trying to hold back. Um, gas might skyrocket again because of the, the OSHA ruling. Like now they're going to cut back on production of oil. So it's good. People are going to even hold back even more. So yeah, it's just right now just going with it, just doing what makes sense and hope just hopefully that everything will work out fine. And if it doesn't work out, you know, I have options. You learn from that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like just because it didn't work out the first time doesn't mean you can't refresh it with new eyes, mm-hmm. with a different lens, a different perspective. Be like, okay, like what did I do wrong this time that I can work on to make it better the next time? Yeah. Because I, I love what I do. I'm really proud of my business and how far it's gone. And yeah, I will fight like hell to keep her going because I really believe in my concept. And the feedback I've, I've been receiving is that my products are of quality and also they're different. Yeah. It, it, it's because, you know, people have asked me, oh, like, would you go back to New York and start your own business? Absolutely not. <laughs> because aside from being super expensive, it's also, it's very competitive because there's so yeah. many baking concepts in the city that are so concentrated and close together. And they're all so good. Um, and I feel like for me, like Miami does have a baking scene too, um, but it's not as concentrated as it is in New York. Because in New York, there's a concept for cream puffs. There's a concept for macarons. There's a concept for croissants. There's a concept for cakes, like very different cakes. Yeah. Um, there's a concept for everybody. But I feel like here, um, you know- it's, I think there's more opportunity here, definitely. For sure. That's why everybody is coming down here. Cause yeah, like Miami is a new promised land. And, um, especially a lot of like food concepts that I loved for years in New York are coming down here. And it's like, are you guys following me? (laughs) Are you obsessed with me? (laughs) That's how I felt too, because I moved here in, oh my God, July, June, July, 2020. And so that was like, I did. Okay. Yeah. That's like right before everybody started moving down here. So that's what I was like. Everybody's just following me. Stop following me, guys. You were in Bushwick, no? Yeah. Well, I lived in Clinton Hill, but my, one of my business, a couple of my businesses were in Bushwick. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. No, I love that area. No. And, and Brooklyn is like the place to be now. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, you know, I'm optimistic about this trend of everyone from, the Northeast coming down to Miami. I mean, that's nothing new. Like South Florida has always been like the sixth borough of New York. Um, <laughs> but I'm optimistic that it's going to expose Miami to new palettes, especially mm-hmm. with something so unique to Miami, like Kote, the Korean steakhouse and design district, because mm-hmm. like there's always been Asian options in Miami, but like, of course, not the level of like having a Chinatown, like in New York or in, right. in San Francisco or in California or in um, Los Angeles. So hopefully like that'll bring more diversity um, mm-hmm. to Miami because in Latinidad and like in the Caribbean, yes, Miami has everything Latino and everything Caribbean. Yeah. Like no, no it other stops there. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, New York, they try the Caribbean food. It's, it's pretty good, but like here it's a different level. Okay. But when it You're going to have to give me some recommendations. Cause I actually haven't had much of that here. Yeah. Oh. You got to give me some recs. I got you. Okay. Um, but hopefully like with new concepts opening up in Miami, it'll expose Miami to new flavor palettes mm-hmm. that they haven't really been exposed to before. Um, and also just bring in a, a different talent. I mean, for example, like the Michelin guy coming down to Miami, like that was major. Like I did not expect that to happen. Um, and I'm really glad it did because it highlighted a lot of talent here in Miami that really need to put us like on that same stage with everyone else. Like we, we deserve that. 
Um, because people tend to think like, oh, Miami's just like a party city and all of that. Like we're so much more than that though. Mm-hmm. Like we are, you know, very proud people with a very long history. Um, we also have a lot of contribution to the arts. And I mean, I hopefully over time people will like actually recognize it more and appreciate it more. Like, yes, Miami has a scene that will never change, but there's so much more to that. And I'm really optimistic that all these new institutions coming in will definitely like spice things up and like really get it going. Mm -hmm. Um, Especially places are coming down, you know, iconic places like Pastis. That's going to be awesome. Uh, Steven Starr has already been in Miami for a while. So it's definitely going to add to Steven Starr's repertoire. Um, And, you know, places like 100 Lucky, you know, a food dedicated to just Asian food. Yeah. Something I, because growing up here in Miami, the highlight of Asian food was um, uh, on Bird Road, Tropical Chinese. Like that was the highlight. <laughs> I never heard of it. I haven't heard oh, of it. Oh, that's OG. That's a Miami staple. It's never okay. going away. It survived it all. Is it cheap? Uh, I haven't been in a minute. but Oh I my God. I pay so much for Chinese food and so much for sushi here that it makes my head spin. No, I know. Yeah. I, I know. Um, I don't know. I mean, I haven't been back in a while, but I'm down to explore. Um, and also like coming back to Miami with a set of new eyes after being in New York, it's like, okay, like now I definitely want to dive more into, I mean, yes, I was, I'm, I'm Puerto Rican and Cuban. Yes. I know that's the back of my hand, but like, there's also great Haitian spots to check out, Nigerian spots to check out, Jamaican, Chinese. Um, it's just, and I think more people are going to explore more of that now. I think people are being are more open-minded now about new foods and new cuisines that are outside of their comfort zone. Yeah. So um, I, I'm really optimistic that these new concepts coming in will definitely like facilitate that and like get more access to that. But at the same time, something that I've noticed a lot is like, yes, a lot of New York spots are coming down, but they're not accessible to the average Miamian. They're very high-end places, very expensive places. When you have new competition coming in, I think it just ends up raising the overall standard because people have to step up their game. You know, when we were talking about quality a lot, right? And so those people that might've kind of lost their vision or kind of laxed on really maintaining the quality of their product, they might now be forced to do so, to compete. Yeah, I I always see like, and I, as much as I don't, as much as I don't enjoy admitting it, whenever I see like concepts that started out really small, ended up in like major retailers, I'm just like, why? <laughs> why? What do you mean? Like, um, because they're compromising their, okay. Yeah. It's kind of like, okay. Like they're so selling yeah. out. Yeah. yeah. They're, they're selling out, but also like, it's just, it's not going to be the same quality as like, as you started out, that quality that rose you to this fame that you have now. So like, why would you want to give up something that made you who you are? It's like biting the hand. It's like biting the hand that fed you. Mm. It's like that, that, that vision in your mind from the beginning is what got you to this point. Like, why, why are you ignoring that? Like, why are you so focused on like more, 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 give me more money instead of being like, let's just stick to our guns. And that's why like some of these places in Miami have lasted for decades. For example, Versailles, that's the landmark of Cuban-American food. I would food. absolutely not say that anything about that place is quality, though. That's the problem. is because they expanded so much. 
some of these places in Miami, um, you know, some places in Little Havana that are still going very strong to this day. Mm-hmm. They've been around for a reason. Like they've always stuck to their guns. They've done the same thing. Like, yes, they've opened more spots around Miami, but they, they were very conservative about it. Mm-hmm. They're like, yes, like we'll go more West. We'll go more South, but that's it. Like we're sticking to the same menu, same everything. And that's it. Like some places I've been going since I was a kid, like Latin American, that place has not changed. And you know, it's the same quality I've had from when I was a teenager to now me in my early thirties. Um, and, but they stuck to their guns and they're still very successful. So it's like, how, you know, how can these mom and pop stick to like their guns and their values? But then some of these other concerts, just like, they completely ignore that. I, to me, I, I can't understand that. I guess, you know, they get very tempted. Yeah. like, like, oh, like look at the stream of income I'm getting now. Well, like, again, it's, it's shiny object syndrome right? You get distracted and then you kind of just forget you lose touch. I mean, honestly, that's one of the reasons why coaching is so valuable because in a coaching session, if you're a business owner, you come in, let's say you just got offered a new deal, right? Okay. Well, let's talk about that deal, right? Like what are the benefits? What are the pros to doing this deal? Okay. What are the cons? And it forces you to think about them and to face them. All right. Well, what are you going to do if this person who is now Uh, They have control over your brand and over your product in some way. What are you going to do when they want to make changes? And those changes conflict with what your original values were or with what your vision is, right? What are you going to do in that case? Oh, well, you know, that can't happen. Okay, well, then this deal can't happen, right? Right. Or, Or how can you adjust this deal to make it fit within what will work for you and your brand, right? And so a lot of people don't, sadly, they don't value coaching and they don't, then they just kind of unfortunately don't think about a lot of these things and they don't face them. And then they just make bad, poor decisions. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's back to the shiny object syndrome. It's like, yeah. they just focus so much on like, that's what I want. Like, that's the end goal. Like that's what I'm going for. And mm-hmm. then, you know, it sounds great at first, you know, on paper it sounds awesome. But then like when the reality kicks in, you're like, Oh yeah. Crap. Like, yeah. Um, from times I worked in New York and different um, restaurants and bakeries, it was always, oh, what do the investors want? We have to do what the investors say. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And hopefully, you know, again, it's a very, it's another shiny object thing. Like there, you know, a, a financier comes in, it's like, hey, I have X amount of dollars. I want to invest in your business. You're not going to say no. Right. Well, it depends on what your goals are, right? Like if your goals are to make a buttload of money, then maybe you're willing to accept the, what would be considered the cons of that agreement. Right. Right. But if you, if your goal is to, you know, you're not trying to make crazy amount of money, you just want to make enough money and you want to do well and you want to see growth, but it doesn't need to be crazy substantial. um, And you're okay with taking time to do that. Then, you know, you can say no to that deal. Right. right. But it it's always coming back to why you're doing this and what your goals are with it. Right. And people, that's what people lose touch with. Right. But if those yeah. are like, if those are at the forefront of your mind, whenever you're faced with a big decision like that, then it's way easier to make that decision, you know, cause you can see clearly, does this align with my goals? No. All right. Bye. Yeah. Like it can be very tempting. Like, you know, if I ever get to that moment, it's going to be another test of like my values and who I am. And it's like, you know, it's it's also very circumstantial, you know, do their values align with yours? And if they do, you know, see what happens. Um, But I think also in part to like why I'm so keen on sticking to my values is, I mean, it's because of my upbringing, right? 
Like I come, my, my father's a Cuban refugee. My mom's from Puerto Rico. So they've always instilled in me about the value of obviously hard work. That's something that's always, you know, it's a, it's a Fernandez quality. Um, I am my father's daughter and I'm definitely following my father's footsteps because after leaving Cuba, he um, started a pharmacy in Puerto Rico with my abuelo and it's been in business almost 60 years. Wow. It's a San Juan staple. And um, growing up in that environment, like seeing my dad, like the sacrifices he would make to keep the pharmacy going. And like he expanded the pharmacy and it's like, it's still doing really, really well. Thankfully, Um, I, I, I aspire to that because again, my dad, he has been very successful with his business, but also he always stuck to his values. Like he's been tempted. He's gotten offers from like major corporate pharmacies. He's like, no. Yeah. Because my dad easily could have taken that way out and be like, oh yeah, I'll have millions of dollars coming in. No, I'll be set for life. Well, the, see, that wasn't his goal. That right? wasn't he didn't, need, goal. he didn't need that. Yeah. No, he didn't. And again, like he was, he stuck true to his values, to his core. And like, that was a lesson to me as well. It's like, you can have all these tempting things coming your way. It's like very enticing and, you know, it's glamorous and all of this. But when you're faced with the reality of it, it's like, you know, it's like selling your soul. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to give that up. I'm not like, because I, you have to consider things in the long term, And that's what, that's what was in my dad's mind. It's like, I would be giving up one, a business that I've been busting my ass building and also my legacy for my children. I'm not giving that up. So that's the, that's the answer, right? Like his goal was the legacy being able to pass that down to his kids. Right. And, and if he sold it now, obviously he no longer has that. So that is exact. That's perfect example of that whole conversation. Yeah. No. And when it comes to like regards to doing business, like my dad is my biggest hero. Like I thank the old man all the time. Like my dad, we just celebrated his 79th birthday and he's still going to work. Like, yeah, it's just that, you know, my abuela was like that. My dad's like that. It's just about, um, you know, he's been building, I guess his empire, you know, on Cairo Isa in San Juan. Um, and, um, I'm, I always commend my dad for, always sticking to his guns being true. And also like the relationships built with the pharmacy over time, Um, because it wasn't always a success that it was like, it had a lot of turbulent moments in the beginning, um, especially with the recession in the seventies. And my dad was able to overcome it, keep going with the pharmacy. Um, Now it's like, (laughs) my dad expands the pharmacy so much over the years, it's basically like a one-stop shop. So you have the pharmacy, you have retail, you have, um, <laughs> there's a liquor store, there's a mini mart, there's a kitchen inside with a bakery. Wow. I cannot make this up. Like it's a one-stop shop. Wow. It's like a Walmart. <laughs> yes. Yeah, pretty much. It's, it's like, um, I'm, I'm sure you've seen in the Heights. It's like our little yeah. bodega, <laughs> yeah. but just with everything, everything. Um, but yeah, that's, that's definitely what I aspire to do. And I, I just try to lead, follow my dad's example because he's, He's obviously doing something right. He's been in this business for almost 60 years. Yeah. So yeah, I definitely am grateful for having that upbringing with my dad. That's awesome. That's amazing. I wish I had that. Um, Okay. So I want to get to the questions that I ask in every interview. So what does audacity mean to you? It's breaking out of the norm. It's doing something that not only shocks other people, but shocks yourself. Um, I like that. So case in point, like I had the audacity to drop out of law school, something very practical. Yes. Oh my God. Yes. I love that example. I had the nerve, the gall Yeah. to say, see ya. Uh, 
So yeah, that to me is what audacity is. It's like doing something that is not what's expected of the norm. Yeah. But it benefits you in the long run. Yeah, absolutely. That's amazing. If there was one thing, actually, I'm going to rephrase this. If there was one thing that you could tell your self two years ago, like either right before you started your business or like right when you were starting your business, a piece of advice, what would you give yourself? Ooh, to me two years ago, um, that's a good one <laughs> because two years ago feels like five years ago. <laughs> um, so yeah, if I were to talk to me two years ago, I've been like, um, yes, you're going to get a lot of opportunities your way. Um, but don't be afraid to say no, if it's going to compromise your concept, but also your well-being because you are one person there's only so much you can do but don't burn bridges mm. because there have been times where I had to turn down opportunities because not everyone knows that like my concept is just a one-woman show so I've been approached by different organizations like oh we have like a 300 person event can you do it I'm like no but here's my info and you know hopefully in the future like we can reapproach this opportunity yeah um but yeah like there have been some moments where I definitely uh, bit off more than I could chew, pun intended. Um, it was a learning lesson, but definitely just know how to like pace yourself. You know, like it's not a rat race. Yeah. Well, I think that's an important lesson, right? B learning how to say no, because oftentimes we say yes and we overextend and it does not turn out well. And then boom, that bridge is burned, right? That person's never going to hire us again. And so I think there's a lot more maturity and uh, self-awareness and integrity in saying, look, I would love to do this and help you with this. But unfortunately, I don't have the resources to do that at the moment, but please keep my information and I would love to connect again at a certain date, right? So you just... You kept that bridge, that bridge, that bread and that bridge combined. You kept that bridge completely intact and you can just cross that at any other time in the future. That's amazing. I think that's important for new entrepreneurs to remember mm -hmm. because I feel like new entrepreneurs are so self-sacrificing and you have to realize that that is going to have negative consequences in, in many different ways. Like you yourself are going to get burned out. You're going to get unhealthy. You're going to probably lose friends, maybe lose relation, you know, um, romantic relationships. Even you might be not spending enough time with your kids. That might be a negative effect. And then also your customers might have a negative experience with you because you're overextending. So saying no is important. Right. Exactly. Like, yeah. case, you know, going back to the notion of these businesses that start out very small and they're overextending over and over again, that's compromising the quality. Like, yeah, if you overextend yourself, you're going to compromise the quality of yourself, your concept, your relationships. And it's like, sacrifice is important, but like, not going to cost you personally. That was me for 10 years. That was me for five years. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and I was I, like, I barely had any friends left. I was always like stressed out when I was with my daughter because I had all these other things in my head that I couldn't give her the attention she deserved. Mm -hmm. And then I would beat myself up about that. Right. And then, yeah, I mean, I'm sure that if I had focused my energy on one or two of those businesses, they would have exploded. They would have been so a hundred times better than what they ended up being. 
if I had focused um, and not been overextended all the time, but lesson learned. Lesson learned. Like you are one person. Yep. Rome wasn't built in a day. So that's why I keep telling myself. No. So patience too. Patience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, no, you know, it's okay to push your limits, but don't, don't strain yourself over it either. Right. Right. And that's, that's a challenging question, right? Like where is, where's that point where you're pushing yourself in a healthy way and stopping before it becomes unhealthy, right? Like finding that balance, that sweet spot, that's the challenge. And I think maybe that does take doing it wrong some, you know, for a while and understanding that. Right. No, I mean, it, yeah. I, it's perfectly acceptable to stumble. Like, mm. you know, to quote one of my favorite drag queens, Latrice Royale, <laughs> like it's okay to fall down, but get up, look sickening and make them eat it. <laughs> and, I, and also the five G's good God, get a grip girl. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> That's That's it. Like, I mean, yeah, I tend to follow the example of drag queens a lot. <laughs> I love, no, I love that. They are literally the definition to me of audacity. Yes. And they're like the matriarchs of, you know, what we like to say, the alphabet mafia. <laughs> what, what does like, that mean? Like LGBT, LGBT oh, 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 oh. the alphabet mafia. Okay. Um, so, <laughs> I've yeah. never heard that. That's hilarious. I like that. So yeah, they're like the matriarchs of the culture because they mm. have seen it all, done it all, been through it all. And they, well, they've, they've created the space for other people to step out. Exactly. Like they were like, you know, the founding mothers, I guess you can say. And they were always like the first ones in the forefront when it came to like, um, you know, Stonewall and like um, the gay rights movement, all of that. So, yeah. So I, yeah, I think they're the greatest philosophers. I really do, especially for this day and age. Um, So yeah, good God, get a grip girl and fall down, get up, look sickening and make them eat it. I literally just reposted a story on Instagram where it was, I think it was a guy who was walking, who, who cares who it was, but he was walking on um, a runway and he like slipped, but then he turned it into like this crazy dance. (laughs) And so that was the meme. It was like, just, okay. If you stumble, just turn it into something amazing. Oh my God. That reminds me of the first season of RuPaul's Drag Race. Um, This one queen, Akasha, she like slipped on the runway, but she just like turned on her tailbone and like got back. I was like, okay, that was it. That's the show. (laughs) It's amazing. I feel like that's a skill too, that you can learn and hone is to like, when you mess up, because that's what I, okay. When is the moment that I've been telling people this in coaching? It might be like when they are giving speeches, right? People are so worried about when they're having to teach somebody something, or when they're having to give a speech or even like making a YouTube video, right? People are so concerned, like, oh, I have to memorize this. What if I mess up? Like, your audience doesn't know what you're going to do. So if you mess up, you're the only one who knows, just flip it around and keep going, you know, like turn on your tailbone, like the drag queen and just like turn it into something awesome. And nobody's going to know the difference. Right. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, another example, I'll never forget one time I had a tap dance recital when I was a kid (laughs) and I wore my sister's shoes because mine broke for some reason. And of course her shoes are too big on me. Uh So my shoe flew off into the audience. Did it hit somebody in the face? I really hope not. That's like a, a that's a mean girls moment. That would be hilarious. <laughs> stereo. Uh, I I don't think it did. Uh, I hope not. But basically, I was like, well, I have no choice but just keep dancing. So I just danced the rest of the of the number with just one shoe. I was like, all right, that's it. <laughs> so be it. That's the show. <laughs> that is funny. That's funny. Okay. What is a book, podcast, or YouTube channel that has made a positive impact on you that you would recommend to somebody else? 
this is going to sound so cliche <laughs> as someone who worked in the Manhattan dining industry. Um, Kitchen Confidential by the late and great Anthony Bourdain. Like that. <sighs> what about it though? What about it? So it at the time that I read um, Kitchen Confidential, I was working in a position and I felt like, cause Anthony Bourdain, like this, so to really get understanding of working in this industry, like the nitty gritty, Bourdain broke it down beautifully because there's a concept in the industry and I really hope it's going to die down. It's called like the carrot on the stick. So executive chefs, managers will put a carrot on the stick like, oh, hey, if you like, you know, bust your ass for us, essentially, like we'll give you a promotion. Hmm. And I, that's happened to me a couple of times where they say, oh, like we, we love your progress. We love how you work with the team. But like, we, we want to promote you, but like, we need to see like how you work like, you know, in a like higher pressure right. and I fell for it. And it's like, they made me bust my ass, like working, you know, eight days in a row, 12 days in a row, like again, going Long back to hours point, too. Right. Right. But also going back to the point, like sacrificing myself, like overextending myself. It's like, Oh, I have to take on this extra shift. Oh no, I have to do this or else I'm not going to get ahead. And guess what? I never got ahead. And yeah. So when Bourdain was breaking that part down in Kitchen Confidential, he goes, he, it's not personal. They're just greedy. Mm-hmm. It's not yeah. personal. Yeah. Again, they're trying like, to squeeze as much juice out of you as they can get so right. they can make more money for the business. And I mean, honestly, that's their prerogative. That's any employer or, or uh, boss's prerogative, right? Because that's how they cut down on costs and that's how they increase profits, right? And so that's a lot of times that's what somebody's goal is and their intention is with their business. Right. And so then the humanness gets lost there. The empathy and compassion gets lost. Um, and sadly that is very, very common. Right. And so that's one of the reasons that being your own boss, that doesn't become a risk for you anymore, but then you're at risk for losing your humanness because you need to pay the bills. You need to pay your bills and you need to make sure that you can pay them. Right. So then you are under more pressure to increase the amount of money that's coming in. And sometimes, yeah, you end up compromising things that really matter. And, and that's, again, something you have to figure out how to remind yourself of every once in a while. But oh, continue. Yeah, no, absolutely. And also like in regards to like running everything, but also having to like teach an employee how to execute certain recipes or how to work in this environment if they don't, depending on their experience or lack of. Yeah, uh, yeah that's definitely something that's going to, you know, test my values because enduring all of that I said to myself I would never do this to someone else mm-hmm. I think it's absolutely inhumane especially for someone who's like at that for me at that time I was so desperate to like break into the industry like really move up the ranks like really 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 get up there um and another thing that Bourdain mentioned in the book is that you're going to see people with less credentials and talents than you get ahead and that has happened to me many times too and it was so so frustrating yeah so if, like, I'm here, you know, like, you know, basically eight, like eight days in a row. And then you see your coworker who like took off three days. Well, not just that. It's just like, you know, for example, I was able to execute all the recipes flawlessly, you know, based on my training, but then someone else c- comes in claiming like, oh, I have X, Y, Z experience working at this place. And I've done this and I've done that. And they can't do squat. Yeah. And it's like, you're talking a lot of game when you're clearly unqualified, you like lied on your resume to get the job essentially. 
and got a higher position than I did for someone that's been there already for three years. Was that ever a woman? That did uh, that? It was. Or was it only men who did that? That's actually a good question. Because um, I wait. find, and the reason I ask is because I find that women don't do that. Women don't inflate their mm-hmm. abilities that mm-hmm. much compared to men. Yeah, it was mostly men, now that you mention it. It was mostly men. Yeah. yeah. I, I honestly, I, I, I want women to inflate their capability because I think most women diminish their capabilities. Like they, they uh, act as if, or they, they try to be more modest about their capabilities or their accomplishments, right? Whereas men inflate it. They're not trying to be modest. They're trying to make it oh, bigger than what it was. Uh-huh. And, and like they're, they're peacocking. Yep. But women need to do more peacocking because yeah. women are diminishing themselves. Anyway. Okay. So that's another. No, topic. no, you have an absolutely yeah. valid point with that. It's like, and I, that's a habit I'm trying to break in regards, mm-hmm. like um, going back to like my timidness when I'm networking, I, oh. I can be very demure and say, oh yeah, I started my own baking business and all of this. And so as opposed to saying, I have the best bread in like in the entire state of Florida, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, I train with the best of the best. Like I, you know, helped my last job get a Michelin Michelin star. Like I worked with, you know, high end places, X, Y, and Z. It's like, I had to be more forthcoming with that. Um, But it's something that I, I, I have a conflict within myself regarding that because one, yes, like as women, we were always taught to be like, you know, more demure and more modest. But at the same time, it's like going back to my belief in the evil eye. It's like, mm-hmm. I don't want to come off as like this arrogant. boisterous, arrogant. Exactly. It's like, But that's also the same story, right? Like saying good things about myself and being really confident in those good things means that I'm arrogant, right? Okay. No. Yeah. That's, it's like that's that's that balance to like right. not come off that way because yeah, as women, especially, especially in a boys club, like the restaurant mm-hmm. industry, there oh, is yeah. a microscope over us all the time. Yeah. And it's like, you always have to fight with the boys and mm-hmm. that applies to pastry too, believe it or not. And, um, yeah. So like most of the time, like, yeah, there would be men who like pop their chests out, you know, exaggerate their experiences. And then once they actually get to do apparently what they're ever, they're really good at, they can't, it's- they can't follow through. And it's like, why are you here then? Yeah. It's like, don't. But then then who picks up the slack, right? Who needs to do it? Exactly. Exactly. And I had to clean up their mess. But then look at this cycle, though, right? So, so then you clean up the mess, and you're already working probably longer hours. You're already working harder. So now you have more responsibility to do. But what happens is you're getting burned out faster. And so then maybe, you know, you don't get chosen for the promotion because you had to take a couple of days off to like literally heal yourself or I, I, I said something to someone the wrong way. And like, I offended them. It could be something right. as like, you know, asinine as that. Exactly. But that's the cycle. Right. And those are those, it's like so subtle a lot of times because right. you can't, you can't really speak it out. Like you can't, this person that just got hired, you can't go to your boss and be like, this person sucks. Right. You know, I mean, because then you're the jerk. Right. Yeah. And like, I have expressed that to my boss mm-hmm. in the past. I'm like, Hey, like I understand like he's new and all of that, but frankly, it's getting like kind of frustrating because I feel like I have to constantly pick up the slack for him. Yeah. And either That's great that you did that. And I, what was the response? I because I was getting burnt out from handling everything I had to do and then picking up what he couldn't do. And it's like, I, again, I am only one person. And like, I expressed this to them. I said, you know, is there any way to like, you know, to work with him, all of this? 
And I was kind of just met with like, you know, like a, an NHR answer, like, oh yeah, like we'll, we'll look into it. It's like, great, love that. Yeah. Um, but I, I mean, looking back on it now, I just laugh about it. I'm like, oh, it's because I'm pretty. Like, that's fine. <laughs> it's because I'm pretty. Um, but yeah, so Kitchen Confidential definitely like opened my eyes to be more, not so rigid with my experience working in the industry. It's just kind of like, just take it in stride. Yes, you're gonna take a lot of blows along the way, but just take it in stride, you know, approach everything with grace and understanding um, and just kind of be a better version of yourself. So that's what I did, you know, with, I just, because, because, ugh. so Kitchen Confidential told me basically to be more honest with myself. Hmm. So once I realized that I was not getting not just the recognition in my job, but also not getting something that I was allegedly promised. That's when I started quiet quitting, as they call it now. It's like, I went to work, did my thing, didn't go beyond my, my job description and left. That's when I started quiet quitting. It's like, I did my work. I'm not going beyond that. Oh, you want me to stay, come in an extra day? That's not happening. Mm-hmm. You're not invested in Yeah. Because they weren't invested in you. They were, they were taking advantage of you. And so now, I mean, you're not taking advantage of them, but you're just not going to do anything excess. Right. It's like, I did my part. Yeah. You wanted me to do X, Y, and Z. I did X, Y, and Z. And then went back to A, B, and C. Yeah. You still didn't like, you know, give me what I deserved. Yeah. Fine. Like I'm going to find another place that hopefully will appreciate me. Mm. And that's what I did. I was like, I'm out. I'm going to see, like, you know, there's a myriad of opportunities in, in New York. I will never be unemployed. Mm-hmm. That's what I did. So I just like looked around, seeing what worked with me, what didn't. Um, and eventually I found my really great job at Le Jardinier. And I was very, very grateful for that experience because it was actually like the most positive experience um, in regards to the higher ups. Um, like my former boss, Chef uh, Tetsuya, amazing, amazing person. Uh, he was very, he knew that I was a little, uh, nervous about going from something high volume to something so, um, so what's the word I'm saying? Like, so, um, detail oriented, like fine dining because of fine dining. It's like, yes, you're working in smaller amounts, smaller portions, but like, it has to be absolutely perfect and consistent every time. With higher volume, there's room for mistakes. That's bound to happen. If you're making 300 all my croissants, there's going to be a few here and there that are a little wonky more than others, but it's still going to be the same. Yeah. But with fine dining, it's a different level of demand. So he knew I was a little nervous about it because I was very, I was, I was unsure about taking the offer in the first place. But like once he saw the way that I worked, you know, he really took a liking to me and he said, like, take your time. I'm going to help you out you're gonna get through this. And he was very compassionate, understanding, and like, did not put an insane pr- amount of pressure on me. Um, and I'm really grateful for that. Cause like, that's compassion in the business. It's like, you see someone who wants to try, mm-hmm. they really want to give it a go, but they don't know where to begin. Yeah. You give them that helping hand and that's how you're supposed to do it. And like, that was something very um, inspiring to me saying, yeah, no matter how stressed out I get, no matter how overextended I feel, do not take it out on your employees. Mm-hmm. Still, as a, as tiring as you know, if it drains the last bit of energy in you, still go with compassion. Right. Always. What is this? Is the last question? What is your biggest, most audacious goal going forward? Hmm. 
my most audacious goal going forward um I think just more like breaking out of my comfort zone like really putting myself out there um especially since I'm trying to build more relationships with um smaller cafes smaller restaurants do the wholesale like just really put myself out there just like take that leap and be exercise my inner audaciousness saying hey this is what I do you want some bread try it out and just be more forthcoming about my concept because I do have a good concept and I need to be more um assertive instead of being so oh yeah this is what I do like, like if you like it no you're gonna like it like I'm you better like it yeah yeah Awesome. I like that. So pushing your comfort zone and just being more, I guess, overall confident in what you're offering and your, your, the value of your business. Right. 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 Awesome. Cool. Uh, Will you please tell everybody what your website is and and your handle so they can get in touch with you? Yes. Um, So this is my cute little business card. Shiny. Mm -hmm. So to break it down for you, um, my website is www.com. I need more.com and need spelled K N E A D. My Instagram handle is I need more underscore Miami. Okay. Um, and I'm also in the process of getting into TikTok more because TikTok has also been like the forthcoming because that's another major challenge, you know, on top of everything to take care of the business now because Instagram's algorithm is so focused on reels. Like, great. Ugh. Now to be a videographer. Yep. That's fantastic. Yeah. And so, yeah, so I'm definitely like trying to dive more into TikTok and like more more better at that. But TikTok is also the same user handle. I need more underscore Miami. So you'll find all my goodies there. Um, Check out the new fall menu. It's it's fabulous. I have pumpkin pie. I have apple pies. I have the Mexican hot chocolate cookies, conchas uh, for the other muerto. So yes, so come check it out. Um, and also hit me up anytime if, if anyone's looking for advice about breaking into this industry and like really preparing yourself, especially as, you know, being a girl in a boys club. Yeah. I'm more than happy to talk to anyone about it. That's awesome. <laughs> That's great. Thank you so much, Christina. Thank you for this. You. No, thank you. Thank you guys so much for listening. I hope you got a ton out of this episode, especially if you already own your restaurant or you're thinking about opening something up in the food industry. I hope that there was a bunch in here that you could relate to or some advice that you were able to take away from this episode. Uh, Thanks again for listening. Please, please, please give us a five-star rating, share it with your friends, and make sure that you are following me on Audacious Founder on Instagram. We will talk soon. 